Good morning, everyone. Please be seated. Good morning to all of you here in the house, and good morning to all of you watching online at home. My name is Ted Chen. I'm the guest speaker today. I've been at Vintage for some 10 years now, originally, yes, originally from the San Francisco Bay Area, home of the first place still, San Francisco Giants. Yes, I just lost the room. And in my day job, I am a TV news journalist for NBC, and one of my beats is entertainment, and we got the Emmy nominations coming up, and one of my favorite shows is sure to get a lot of nominations. Who else here is a big fan of Ted Lasso? Yes. Well, for the uninitiated, Ted Lasso is about an American football coach who goes to England to become a soccer coach, and of course, there's a culture clash and hilarity ensues. But I think the show is a great example of how once we got past that initial conflict, that America and Great Britain get along pretty well together. <laughs> and we have some great proof of that as well. I want to show you a picture of Pastor Gare when he became an American citizen three years ago, covered in the red, white, and blue. And if you can't read the cap, it says, America. And I also want to show you a quick clip uh, from the second season teaser trailer of Ted Lasso that I really liked. Brought you a little song for your first day of work. I don't eat sugar. Really? I've never met someone that doesn't eat sugar. Only heard about them. They all live in this godless place called Santa Monica. Is that great? Okay, we can forgive Ted Lasso for overgeneralizing about Santa Monica. I mean, sure, we have our share of atheists, and probably some of them don't eat any sugar. But Santa Monica is far from a godless place. All of you are here. And we have our sisters and brothers down the street at St. Monica, and we have great churches like Risen and Pacific City and PCC. But we all tend to make assumptions about places that we are not familiar with. How many of you have friends and family from other parts of the country, other parts of the world, who think they know what LA and California is all about? All right, because of the media, because of movies. I recently paid my first visit to Boston for my seminary graduation, and, and I thought I had Boston all figured out. I watched The Departed. I've seen every Ben Affleck and Matt Damon movie. I went to Boston knowing what I was going to expect, but I was pleasantly surprised. I, Boston was just so much more than I had anticipated, and my eyes were open to what an incredible city it is and what amazing people are in the city of Boston. And that's what God wants to do. He wants to open our eyes to new things. He wants us to see people in new ways and to see ourselves in new ways, and in the process, ultimately to see God in a new way. But we need help. We need his help. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. We need the transformational power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. We continue our series on the book of Acts. If you can turn your Bibles, if you have them, to Acts chapter 10, we're going to be looking at verses 27 through 47 today. And to set this up, 
the Apostle Peter, God is showing him new things. God gave him a vision that there were no more clean and unclean foods, that all foods were clean. And the bigger message is that all people are now acceptable to God, Gentiles as well as Jews, contrary to what Peter had assumed. So Peter is being sent to the home of Cornelius, the Roman centurion. Peter and his fellow Jewish Christians, these circumcised believers, and they are engaging Cornelius and all the people gathered here. So let's go to Acts chapter 10, verses 27 through 47. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send a Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good for you to come. Now, we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know that what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, and that after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he was found doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for these words. We thank you for this truth. We pray right now that you open our hearts and enlighten our minds and transform us through the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we see here that everyone in this room is being transformed by the Spirit, not just Cornelius and the Gentiles, but also Peter and his fellow Jewish Christians, these circumcised believers who can't believe that the Holy Spirit is being poured onto the Gentiles. Now, this shows us a couple of things. First of all, it shows us that the transformation by the Holy Spirit is continuous. It goes on throughout our entire lives. You see, Peter and the Jewish Christians, they had already received the Holy Spirit, but God had new things to show them. God had new things to reveal to them. The second thing we realize is that credentials don't matter. 
I mean, look at Peter's credentials. He was an original disciple. He walked with Jesus. He knew Jesus. He was kind of like a beetle. Yet God still wanted to grow him. And look at the credentials of Cornelius. Cornelius was a respected Roman officer. And the book of Acts tells us that he was a God-fearing man, that he prayed to God and that he gave to the poor. And, And the angel came to him in a vision and said, God recognizes everything you've done. Now you need to be converted. He didn't say, way to rack up those credits. All you need are a couple of more just to top it off a little bit and you're in. You've punched your ticket to heaven. You get to go to the exclusive concert, front row seats, backstage passes, the whole nine yards. He didn't say that. He said, send for Peter in Joppa and have him come to your house and preach the gospel because you need to be radically transformed. Same thing happens to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. John chapter 3, Jesus meets Nicodemus, who also is an upstanding man. He does all the right things. He's kind of like this good guy Pharisee because he says to Jesus, I know you come from God. And Jesus says to him, all right, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. You need to have a spiritual makeover top to bottom. Same thing happens with the Apostle Paul and Lydia, both upstanding and upright citizens in their society who God determined needed to be radically transformed. I love how Tim Keller describes this. He says, most people think of the call to Christianity as a call to religion and morality. Whereas the truth is, in actuality, it's a challenge to religion and morality. It's a challenge to this idea that if we're good enough, if we just do enough good things, we earn our way to heaven. We earn our salvation, which means we're in control, which means we are our own gods. And throughout the Bible, we're told that the greatest problem among humankind is that we try to be our own gods. And we try to do it in one of two ways. We try to do it either by being rule followers, following all the moral rules, or rule breakers and breaking all the moral rules. And both make life miserable for ourselves and other people. Because the rule follower, the follower of the moral rules, is either going to feel guilty because he or she can't keep up with all of them, or and feel superior to other people because... They follow the rules better than they do. The world breaker, of course, is going to hurt themselves and other people and create terrible situations and wind up in prison or wind up dead. And of course, we, we think that it's the rule breaker that needs Jesus the most, and they certainly do. But the Bible tells us it's actually the rule follower that may be at greater risk that may be in greater danger because she or he is less likely to think there's a problem. He or she is more likely to think that they are protected by their success and protected by their achievements and less likely to think that they are in desperate need of a savior and they are in desperate need of a gift that can't be bought and that can't be earned. I want to read a little passage from a book by C.S. Lewis. It's called The Great Divorce, and it features a conversation between 
someone from heaven who is called the bright man and someone from hell who is called the ghost. And the man from heaven, the bright man, is trying to convince the man from hell, the ghost, to come along with him to heaven. This isn't meant to be a portrayal of what actually heaven and hell are like. It is a parable. It is meant to convey an important point. So I'll read from it and this conversation. Look at me now, said the ghost, slapping its chest, but the slap made no noise. I gone straight all my life. I don't say I was a religious man. I don't say I had no faults. Far from it. But I done my best all my life, see? I done my best by everyone. That's the sort of chap I was. I never asked for anything that wasn't mine by rights. If I wanted a drink, I paid for it. And if I took my wages, I'd done my job, see? That's the sort I was, and I don't care who knows it. It would be much better not to go on about that now, said the bright man. Who's going on? I'm not arguing. I'm just telling you the sort of chap I was, see? I'm asking for nothing but my rights. You may think you can put me down because you're dressed up like that, which you weren't when you worked under me. And I'm only a poor man, but I've got to have my rights, same as you, see? Oh, no. It's not so bad as that. I haven't got my rights, or I should not be here. You will not get yours either. You will get something far better. Never fear. That's just what I say. I haven't got my rights. I always done my best. I never done nothing wrong. And what I don't see is why I should be put below a bloody murderer like you. Who knows whether you will be. Only be happy and come with me. What do you keep arguing for? I'm only telling you the sort of chap I am. I only want my rights. I'm not asking for anybody's bleeding charity. Then do. At once. Ask for the bleeding charity. Everything here is for the asking. And nothing can be bought. Excuse me. God wants us to do good things. Of course he wants us to do good things. James chapter 2 says that faith without good deeds is useless. It's dead. He wants us to be generous. He wants us to be kind. He wants us to help the poor and the marginalized and the disenfranchised. He wants us to live lives of integrity and holiness. But he knows that we can't do it on our own power, at least not well. So he wants to give us the Holy Spirit's power. He wants to give us the transformational power of the Holy Spirit. Because without it, without the Holy Spirit, we can't begin to heal the brokenness of humanity. Without the Holy Spirit, we can't begin to heal the divisions amongst us. Because the Holy Spirit is a unifier. The Holy Spirit is a unifier. That's what we're seeing in this passage in Acts and throughout the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit is bringing people of different ethnicities and different cultures together. And that was God's plan from the beginning to expand his family. He told Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 that through you and through your people, all the nations 
of the world will be blessed. And we see that happening in the book of Acts. We see the gospel and the good news of Jesus going to the Samaritans and then the Africans and then the Romans and then the Greeks. And Isaiah 60 prophesied that one day that all nations would be united before God. And Revelation 21 says that every tribe and every tongue and every people and every nation will bow down before God. Which is why we all need each other. We need each other to fill in the gaps. We need each other to see each other's blind spots. We are all limited, broken human beings, which means no individual, no group, no church, no denomination, no ethnicity, no country is going to see the complete picture of the gospel all by themselves. We need people who are different from us. We need people who think differently from us to see all that God has for us. This is why Vintage has a diversity team. This is why we have partnered with churches in majority people of color communities. It's not diversity for diversity's sake. It's not because diversity is the hot topic right now. It's because we don't want to make the same mistake that Peter did and think that we got it all on our own. No, God wants to unify us. Unity is a theme throughout the Bible. In 1 Corinthians 1, the Apostle Paul urges his fellow believers, his brothers and sisters, that there be no divisions amongst them. It doesn't mean we can't have differences. It doesn't mean we can't have disagreements. But it does mean when we do have a problem or an issue with one of our fellow members, we can go to them lovingly and in grace and in humility and say a phrase Pastor Garrett has coined, help me understand. That's what he says whenever I root for the Giants, help me understand. Because God wants us to be unified. And what that means is we don't make assumptions, we don't attack one another, we don't call each other's names. We don't attack each other's character, especially online or in social media or in email. I love how Pastor Matt Chandler in Dallas describes this. We've all become experts in our own strengths and other people's weaknesses. But God has asked us to be the opposite. In James chapter 7, Jesus says, please take the plank out of your own eye before you even begin to remove the speck from your sister or brother's eye. And in John chapter 17, he makes an extraordinary prayer. He prays to his father, may all of them, may all of us be one just as you and I are one so the world may believe you sent me. An astonishing prayer on two levels. First, Jesus is saying that we can, and he prays for, the same unity that the Trinity shares. And he's saying the extent to which the world sees that unity, it will believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And to the extent it sees disunity in the church, it won't believe it. There is that much at stake. So when there is backbiting and gossiping and clickishness and selfishness 
and cruelty in the church, we are making Jesus look ugly to the world. On the other hand, when we are loving and forgiving and gracious, and when we bear one another's burdens, and when we lay down our lives for one another, we are making Jesus look beautiful. Tim Keller says, the honor of Christ's name is bound up in the quality of our community. But we need the Holy Spirit for that. We need the transformational power of the Holy Spirit. So let's learn a little bit more about the Holy Spirit and go to Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 11, verses 19 and 20. I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. The word for spirit in the Bible is the word ruach. And ruach has a couple of meanings. It means wind, which suggests power and movement. The Holy Spirit is God's power moving within us. It also means breath. The Holy Spirit is God's breath in us. It is God breathing life into us. It is God pouring his love into us. God pouring his love into us. And that love fills us. It overwhelms us. It encourages us. It edifies us. It strengthens us. It secures us. It is that love that empowers us, as it says in Ezekiel, to obey and to follow his decrees. Now, people tend to think of God's laws as oppressive, as something to restrict your freedom and joy. No, they are designed to give you freedom and joy. Deuteronomy 5, God says that I gave you com my command so that things will go well with you and your children forever. When I finally surrendered my life to Christ 11 years ago, I decided I was going to be celibate. I decided I was going to obey and wait until I was married. And I can say that in each of the last 11 years, I have had far more joy and fulfillment and fun and satisfaction than I ever did in the previous 20 combined. It's not even close. It is not even close. That is the transformational power of the Holy Spirit. It strengthens us, it secures us, and it frees us. We are celebrating freedom today. The Holy Spirit frees us to love one another unconditionally just as God loves us. And when we have the love of God and we have the love of one another, what else is there? Game, set, match, mic drop. But how do we get it? How do we get the Holy Spirit? How do we receive the Holy Spirit? Well, this passage tells us the secret ingredient to receiving the Holy Spirit is to believe, is to believe the gospel. And that's what Peter was doing. He was going to the house of Cornelius. He was sharing the gospel. He was telling them about Jesus. He was saying that Jesus came from God and he came in power and he came to heal and that he was killed and that he died as punishment for our sins, and that he rose again in three days. 
And these disciples were witnesses of it. It was real. And here's the key verse in verse 43. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins in his name. And everyone in the room, Cornelius and those gathered, believed. How do we know they believed? Well, we know they believed because they began praising God. They began praising God. They began worshiping God. Everyone worships something. In L.A., it's popular to worship money, power, fame, sex, relationships, family, even children. But all of those will let you down some way or another. All of those will not ultimately satisfy. Only worshiping God will give you the security and the peace of mind that we all crave. I'm going to invite the worship team back up now. Only God, when we invite him to dwell inside of us, when we invite him to transform us through the Holy Spirit, that's when we begin the path. St. Augustine was a theologian in the early church in the 3rd and 4th century, and he said that the problem can be summed up in inordinate love. We tend to love God's things more than we love God himself. And I believe, and I know you guys do, that America is the greatest country in the world and that God has given us great, great blessings. But if we put the blessings above the blessor, we're inviting conflict. We're inviting competition, the zero-sum game where we're just going to claw at each other and tear each other down in order to get those prizes. But when we put the blessor over the blessings, then God gives us all the blessings we need because that's what he promised. And the Holy Spirit helps us see that. Can I invite you all to stand? And if you're comfortable, let's all hold our hands out and invite the presence of the Holy Spirit. If you are a new Christian, if you are a believer for a long time now, let's ask the Holy Spirit to show us the areas in our lives that need transformation. Could be our attitude towards a person, could be our attitude towards a group, could be something at work or in our family or in our church. And for those of you who are exploring Christianity today, maybe you got dragged along by a friend because it's the 4th of July. We invite you now, if you feel comfortable, if you feel led, no pressure, to take that first step. If you're willing to say, I believe. In a quiet prayer to God, he will hear you. Say, I believe. I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. I believe he came in power and healed. I believe he died for me 
and for my transgressions. And he rose on the third day. And I believe that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins in his name. So today, I apologize for the things I've done wrong. I ask forgiveness for my transgressions. And I am ready and I declare that Jesus is Lord. Let's worship together.